Welcome to another episode of the weekly podcast. First and foremost, I'd like to thank my lovely wife who is so supportive, loving, and exceptionally kind. I could not do anything without her. Also, I would like to thank Gary for the uh, five-star review. I thank Austin. I'd like to thank Mason and Marley for just the outstanding reviews that they gave me. Um, I paid them. I'm just kidding. Um, I just want to say thanks. Uh, hopefully, as we go on, it gets better and we gain more listeners. I just enjoy doing this, so bear with me. Also, I'd like to state that some of these stories have explicit content and they do not reflect my personal views. I always want to tell every side and let a person come to their own conclusions because we have one-sided conversations way too often. And until we try to find some common ground with one another, we're going to continue to be polarized and um, it's going to be the end of each spectrum that gets uh, that, that does all the talking. And when reality is, most of us may disagree on some things but if we stopped to take a moment that we would find that we have more things in common then uh, we don't so let's stop you know let's have that conversation from the left from the right but let's look at at the situation through the middle i mean just because you disagree with somebody on one thing doesn't mean you have to totally cut them out of your life Politics is one of those, religion, you know, it almost seems like today that if you, say back when Obama was president, if you agreed with Obama, then there were certain people that just didn't want to have anything to say to you. Or, And then same thing with Trump. If you agree with Trump on some things, you just think you can't even have a conversation or if you disagree, vice versa. I'm neither here nor there. This is not a political podcast. Thank God I would freaking kill. Oh, my God beat my face against this wall right here but i just wanted to let that be known explicit content i wanted to thank everybody and just because we talk about it on here doesn't necessarily mean that's my personal opinion or view i really hope to tell each side of these stories we'll be right back There are many issues that come up or need to come up concerning this case. I have no side here. I will talk about concerns from both victim and offender. Race is one that seems to come up. It's one angle that may have played a role in the outcome of this terrible tragedy, or it may not have been. But let's look at why this happened. Truthfully, we don't know what we would do in that position and what position I mean is when Amy Geiger got off of her 13 hour work shift with the Dallas Police Department and also when Mr. Boham John stopped back at home after running his errand and sat down to watch you know, football and relax 
Little did either one of these folks know that by the end of the night, one of them would have been shot to death and one of them would have shot the other to death. So I guarantee that neither one thought that this would happen. He never thought he'd be shot. And I'm certain she didn't start her day with the intention to shoot and kill this man. This is The Weekly Podcast. September the 6th, 2018, around 9 p.m., Bolton John from St. Lucia Islands leaves his fourth floor apartment in Dallas, Texas to run some errands. He returns to his home, shuts his door, but it doesn't latch. It's not working properly, but he thinks nothing of it. It's around 9.40 now, and John gets ready to watch a little football. He gets comfortable gets him a bowl of vanilla ice cream and he sits down ready to watch some football because you know as an accountant for one of the nation's most prestigious firms it's a very stressful job and he deserves some downtime and and some time to relax little did anyone know that a young Dallas police officer a young woman named Amy Geiger who's been with the police force for four years and is part of a 10-person elite team that makes high-risk arrests and had just finished an extensive training program just months earlier, she's ready for anything. At around 10 p.m., Amber Geiger pulls into the parking garage of her apartment complex that she had moved into just a few months earlier. As she parks, she ends her 16-minute telephone call with her ex-lover, Martin Riviera. But tonight... They've been talking like lovers again. As she gets out of her truck and walks to the entrance of the hall that leads to her apartment, she doesn't notice the Dallas skyline in the open garage of what is level four of this complex. Problem is, Amber lives on level three. And on level three or floor three, the garage is totally enclosed and it's not open. So you couldn't see the skyline from the level that she's supposed to park on. She walks to apartment number 1478 and is literally one floor above her 1378 apartment. She puts her electronic key in, but doesn't notice the red flashing light or the big red welcome mat she's standing on. She hears commotion inside what she thinks is her apartment. She's a Dallas police officer. She's going in to see what the situation is. We'll be right back. On this night, for some reason, Amber Geiger is not aware that she is standing in front of an apartment that does not belong to her. She hears commotion inside and thinks that she has an intruder in her apartment. 
She enters her apartment, gun drawn, levels it out, as she sees a man on her couch. She claims that she says, let me see your hands. Testimony shows that Geiger and John were probably speaking over one another at the same time because he was sitting in his living room in shorts and a t-shirt watching TV and eating a bowl of vanilla ice cream. What any one of us would have been doing when all of a sudden Amber Geiger comes through his front door uninvited, the light from the hallway must have flooded his apartment. The noise from the door must have scared him to death. And he said, this is the prosecutor, as Bo was trying to get up off the couch to find out what this intruder is doing coming into his home, Bo is a nickname, she is leveling off her gun having acquired her target. And she shoots him twice. No opportunity for de-escalation. No opportunity for him to surrender. So I don't know at what point, but it was very soon after she had shot him that she realized that she had really fucked up. She is in the wrong apartment and she has just shot an innocent man. This man has lost his life because of what? Because somebody not paying attention? So... There's paintings above the couch she doesn't have. There's clutter all over his counter she doesn't have. He's got a 50-inch TV. She doesn't have that big of a TV. Now, I know that as soon as she... When she put her key in, she did not notice the red flashing light. She did not notice the red welcome mat she was standing on. But she, the door was... The latch was broke, so she could have very well put her key in and just pushed the door. It would have opened. So she would have assumed at that point that she is in her right apartment because the door opened. That's reasonable. Reasonable. So once she enters, I think is where her problems start. Now, this is just one side. So obviously, she calls 911. On the 911 call, she has heard worried about losing her job, worried about losing her apartment. She has said she has shot an innocent man. She is not performing CPR. She is walking in and out of his apartment hallway, waiting on the first responders to arrive. During her phone call to 911, she has texted her ex-lover, Martin Riviera, several times. And it just seemed in the 911 call that she had a disregard for the man laying there. Once she had seen the mistake she had made, she should have immediately started life-saving procedures to save this man's life. I think that would have went a long way in people feeling that, you know, obviously she made a mistake. I don't feel like she intended to set out and, and murder someone, but that's not the definition of murder. So, first responders arrive and they're fighting like hell to save his life. And they have her leave because she is obviously the one that has shot him. But he doesn't make it. He passes away from his injuries. Because she's taught one thing, police procedure, is to shoot center mass to kill. So on this night, 
she remembers some police procedure but totally has disregard for the other because police procedure would have been for her to take cover in the hallway. And this is exactly what Mr. Hermas, which is the prosecutor, was saying. The path of the bullet is the downward trajectory. It's going to be one of those words again. Trajectory through his heart to a point between his stomach and back showed that Mr. Jean was either getting up from a seated position or was hunkered down. I doubt he was hunkered down. He was on the couch. He was eating ice cream. And as soon as that door opened, I'm sure he was startled and wanting to know what the hell was going on and had stood up. Now, the only way that works for her is that if she shoots basically about the same time as he's standing up. Now, there's really probably no doubt at this point she thinks she's in her apartment. But as a Dallas police officer, under police protocol, officers confronted with such a perceived threat are supposed to stay outside the residence and wait for backup. Mrs. Geiger's decision to fire her weapon from the door, he said, was one of several unreasonable choices she had made that night, preceded by her failure to notice she had parked on the wrong floor. She should have realized her mistake Mr. Hermas said, this is the prosecutor, when she saw the large bright red doormat Mr. Jean had outside his apartment, a clear distinction from Mrs. Geiger's apartment, which had no doormat. For emphasis, Mr. Hermas pulled the doormat out of an evidence bag and showed it to the jury. During her 911 call to report the shooting, Mrs. Geiger told the dispatcher, I shot a guy thinking it was my apartment. The prosecutor said, calling it noteworthy, that she had failed to mention that there was any threat or that she feared for her life. For Amber Geiger, the mere presence of someone in her apartment that she thinks is hers means he has to die, Mr. Hermas said. Now that's the prosecutor. Originally, they had investigated this case and they had brought the Texas Rangers in to investigate. And they had found... basically the charge of manslaughter was appropriate here because basically what what this boils down to is it's a defense of mistake of facts in any police shooting this is not anything new any police involved shooting is basically this is the defense mistake of fact they perceived you had a gun they perceived you were threat vice versa maybe they were wrong in some instances but that doesn't matter. It's mistake of fact. It's what, what they perceived at the time. But the key here is reasonable. So they have shown this evidence to a grand jury, and the grand jury says, no, this isn't manslaughter. This is murder. We'll be right back.
Now, before we go off and, and into the trial phase of this case, let's go back to what has led up to this shooting. Now, there are people that's going to say she made a mistake. She thought it was her apartment. She didn't mean to, to kill him, didn't mean to murder him. Well, she meant to kill him, but she didn't know that she was in the wrong apartment when she did so. So, like I was talking about, the defense is going to be mistake of facts. Now, if it's a reasonable assumption that her life was in danger, then she is going to, it's going to be labeled, labeled a justified shooting. But here's where I feel that people are just tired of that. Yes, people make mistakes, but the minute that she decided to draw her gun, the minute that she entered that apartment and did not follow protocol and take cover in the hallway and request backup because the substation was two blocks away and she knew that once she got on that radio and an officer needing assistance, they would have been there in under two minutes. So there is a life that is lost. A family has lost a loved one and is dead. Because why? Because somebody decided that they wanted to be the hero of the day and enter the apartment because she could? Has she been so just blinded and desensitized by things that she felt that I'm not going to follow protocol. I'm, by God, going to pull my gun and I'm going to go in here. This is my apartment. I'm, I'm a Dallas police officer. I think things like that is, are, are why people get hurt. She is to protect and serve. Her main job is to, to keep the citizens of Dallas safe. She takes that oath. Now, yes, she wants to go home to her family. And no one is saying that under circumstances, cops should not shoot unarmed people because the mistakes happen and reasonable mistakes happen and they are terrible and they are tragic, but it happens. And yes, these rules of engagement, they've got to be able to defend themselves because they don't know who's got a gun and who doesn't. But when mistakes are made because someone doesn't want to follow procedure because they want to be a cowboy, and maybe she didn't, but it looks that way. Why not take cover in the hallway? She's part of this elite group. She has the training. Why can she not follow basic procedure? Is it because she'd seen procedure broken all the time? I've seen things like that in different workplaces. They have rules, but not really rules. They're written down, but that's just not what we follow. I'm sure it happens all the time. I'm sure she'd got to a point to where maybe sometimes she just made the rules up as she went. Maybe she didn't. I'm not saying this to be a matter of fact. But what I am saying is there is a certain level of responsibility that comes with being a police officer. You, are, you should be trained to de-escalate first. De-escalate first. She should have taken cover in the hall and she should have stated who she was or waited for backup. She Going in guns blazing is not 
the proper way to handle this. And I think she's paying that price, as you'll soon see. So, the grand jury had said murder, because I guess in the grand jury's eyes, her actions were not reasonable whatsoever. So, first red flag was the parking garage. You, she could see the city skylight from level four. The parking garage she'd been parking in for the last three months that she lived there is, is level three, which is totally enclosed. She gets to the door and is standing on a big red doormat that she doesn't have. So I think once she entered the apartment, I do believe the defense and the tunnel vision theory, because I'm sure once she entered, heard the commotion and entered, she was tunnel visioned on. She wasn't paying attention to what kind of TV is on the wall, what kind of painting was on the wall, what kind of shit was on the kitchen counter. That was irrelevant. And I do believe she made a mistake, and I do believe she honestly is terribly sorry for that mistake. But I think the mistake she made is not following procedure, and a life was lost. That is reckless, and that is careless. That's just one side of it. So people can say, I don't think anybody can truly say, because I've read nowhere that this gentleman done any, you know, he's going to stand up. He's going to want to know what's going on. That is his apartment. And I've read or seen anywhere that he had done anything whatsoever to be aggressive toward uh, Amber Geiger. He didn't have a weapon. He didn't have a gun. I think what irritates me, and like I said, I'm just wanting to give kind of the facts here as I maybe maybe as I see them a little bit maybe I'm a little aggravated with this case <clears throat> I mean I understand the stress that police officers go through they don't know who has a gun or who doesn't every time they go up to a car but I think sometimes the situations are are, are manufactured because there's sometimes I don't think a, I mean a person has to be stopped or you have to go stop and frisk or or certain things like that. Which I know that there's certain things in place to keep people safe, but at what point does a person's civil liberties come into play? You know, we could have a police state, and everybody could just give their DNA when they're born. So that way, by God, if any crime is committed, they'll know exactly who done it if you left any DNA, but that's not what freedom is. And I guess we could give up certain freedoms to make sure all crimes were solved. But the way the the judicial system is set up, in my opinion, is they would rather see 300 guilty men go free as to see one innocent man imprisoned. And I think we've definitely got away, away from that. But the bottom line is she had no business entering the apartment. She should have took cover in the hallway, and that's what Mr. Hermes is stating. He is stating that she... Several red flags to know that she wasn't at the right apartment, A... And the biggest mistake she made was going in. She should have took cover in the hallway. She should have requested backup. Now that is my opinion. And I know people have difference of opinion in this case. It's a very charged case. <clears throat> because I know people support the police and, and I do too. But there comes a point to where it, it just gets a little ridiculous and you have to stand accountable for your actions. So, I think, I don't know, and I don't know the, the, the manslaughter, murder, intent, 
but according to the prosecution is the mistake of fact was the defense and it's a reasonable assumption so if in the way that gets sorted out is there's no definition of what is considered reasonable so a jury of your peers would be what would consider that reasonable we'll be right back For Amber Geiger, her defense lawyer, Robert Rogers, he has a much different story or a much different account of the encounter. He states that Mr. Gene was not seated or cowering when he was shot, but said he was coming toward Miss Geiger. He was about 13 feet away from her when she opened fire. He said, the officer in fear for her life shouted hands, he said, while Mr. John was saying, hey, hey. Now, so there's zero physical evidence of this uh, scene where Mr. John is getting up and gets shot in the heart and somehow walks to the middle of the apartment towards the person that shot him and then collapses backwards, Mr. Rogers said. You'll see that it is impossible for him to have been sitting where they say he was. Now, the judge had put a gag order on anything before the trial, so a lot of it, a lot of it had not come out as far as what had went on, but... As the trial went on, little things had come out. Um, Also stated, if there was one element of the case that the prosecutors and the defense agreed on, it was that Mr. John's door was closed that night but not locked. And Mr. Rogers, which was uh, Amber Geiger's defense attorney, said it was defective and slightly ajar. And at times would shut but not latch, which had allowed Mrs. Geiger to enter an apartment that was not hers. I do believe that. Mr. Rogers said that Mrs. Geiger had worked a four, worked 40 hours over the previous four days, including a 13 and a half hour shift on the day of the shooting. He said she was tired and had not noticed that she had parked on the wrong floor and was standing on a doormat that was not hers. I agree with that. I, I know exactly what he's saying, and I think that's 100% accurate. I do not believe she intentionally done this. Mr. Rogers said... The hallways and parking garage in the complex looked the same, and it was reasonable for her to have mistakenly entered the wrong apartment. It, there, they were The hallways and the garages were similar, but that one-fourth floor was open. There have been 46 cases, he said, in which tenants in the complex had mistakenly placed their keys in the wrong door. How is that unreasonable, Mr. Rogers asked the jury. How is that selfish and evil on Amber Geiger's part? Prosecutors were making the case that Miss Geiger was distracted. Mr. Herma spent considerable time talking about a series of sexual suggestive text messages she had exchanged that evening with a fellow officer, Martin Riviera, with whom the lawyer said she was having a relationship. I believe Riviera said they were ex-lovers, and that's the conversation I was talking about when she parked. Like I said, she was still having a 60-minute phone conversation with Officer Riviera, when she arrived at the apartment complex. Mr. Hermas said pulling over temporarily in the garage at one point. It was after that conversation that she parked on the wrong floor, he said. 
while Mrs. Geiger had followed her normal pattern of stowing her body-worn camera and filling out her overtime slip before getting into her pickup truck to leave work. After this conversation with Mark Riviera, there is a marked difference. Mr. Rogers, which is the defense attorney, told the jury that Mrs. Geiger had indeed had a relationship with Officer Riviera, but it had nothing to do with what happened that night. So they're arguing back and forth, and I agree with everything that defense attorney is saying. I do not at no point believe that Amber Geiger intentionally went to that door to kill this man. It was proven that she didn't know him. She had made a mistake. But where her terrible, terrible mistake was made was when she did not follow police protocol and take cover in that hallway and request backup. That is my only problem with what she done. And with her irresponsibility, a life was lost. So, no one is denying or saying that what this defense attorney is saying, now this is looking at both sides, I agree with this. She had no, she did not, she thought she was at her apartment, I promise you, she thought she was at her own apartment. When she heard commotion, she should have took cover, she should have requested backup, and that should have been the end of it. It would have been de-escalated, it would have worked out, I guarantee it. But the confrontation was made. The confusion was there. And a man lost his life. That's a big deal. You can't take that back. That is a big responsibility. That's why those responsibilities have have protocol. Because you do not want it to get to a point where you pull that gun out of your holster. And if there's anything you can do before that point you fucking do it that's your responsibility but she didn't it goes to trial the defense is arguing what they argue with her defense which is the reasonable expectation of the misrepresentation of the facts the mistake of facts defense is it reasonable is it reasonable So you've got several people that testified that they stated that they heard a commotion. Then you have people that testified that she heard no yelling before shots were fired. Tadra Jones testified, but she said that her TV was loud. Now, of course, we know Geiger was outside of the apartment when officers arrived. And I do also believe that what did not sit well with the jury was her lack of life-saving measures. Once she had shot this man, she should have performed something. She should have tried everything in her power to save his life because I feel like that's her responsibility to do so. And on her 911 call, it seemed like she had lack of empathy. Of course, there's, as they showed the video of uh, the officers arriving, those officers, Michael Lee and those other officers, literally were amazing and done everything in their power to save this man's life. Josh Brown was both of John's uh, neighbor and had testified that uh, he didn't hear anything, you know, and he was really upset because he was a, a good friend and 
and heard uh, both of them, John, singing. He was a, not only was he an accountant, but he was a worship leader at his church. And these are two young people. Amy's 31, or Amber, Amy they call her. And both of them, John was 26. So it's just a tragedy all the way around. But basically the court, it, it basically comes down to this mistake of fact reasonable assumption so you've got the defense arguing what they argue about her working the long shift her making the mistake and that is accurate but are those reasonable assumptions the jury didn't think so the jury found her guilty of murder but in the sentencing phase the jury only gave her 10 years which that I feel like that they were basically saying we think your actions were unreasonable or we think your assumptions were unreasonable but we don't think that you know it's the malice of murder you know they truly felt that she made a mistake because 10 years is not really a murder sentence it's more of a manslaughter or just like a, a disregard for human life sentence in this case, this is the one where the brother, Botham John's brother, had come down, said he forgave Amber Geiger for killing his brother, and they embraced. And then the judge, which court was adjourned, the judge had offered Amber Geiger her personal Bible, which a lot of people, when the race thing is brought up, they don't like the fact that Botham John's brother had kind of gave in to uh, forgiveness per se and we can be divisive as we we need to be and it looks like that we're going to continue to be that way do I think race played an issue in this case I do not but others do because they'll say well if that was a I've heard if that was a white person sitting there would she have fired I don't know I don't I don't think it would have mattered I think she would have fired regardless of what color the person was in there. Because I'm sure she didn't get a great look. It's more of a silhouette. I just don't think, which in this case, they had brought up certain, they done it in the sentencing phase. They didn't let the jury hear it in the criminal case, but they had brought up some different texts and, and messages she had, comments she had made, uh, making a comment about how they had sent five or six black officers to work with her one day and she's like come on give me a break and had made a derogatory mark about Martin Luther King Jr.'s day or Martin Luther King the birthday or the holiday and I guess they wanted to paint her as a, a racist which I do not think she was a racist which I could be wrong but I just don't think so she made some derogatory type comments but nothing that was I don't think anything that was said specifically toward a race of people. I don't think that it was wise what she said, but it wasn't a racist comment to speak of the, you know, domination of one over the other. It was a little calloused. I mean, because if she had a a person that had fought for her rights and it was a very 
highly respected individual, which Martin Luther was a, is a very respected individual in this country period and should be. It was a little calloused. I don't know that it played a, it played a, a, a part in this. I know people are going to disagree, and maybe it did. Maybe she decided that, oh, my God, it's a black man, and he's probably going to kill me. It just all happened too fast for, I think, that to happen. She's seen a man. He stood up. She shot him, period. Shot him while he was standing up. That's just my opinion, according to what the medical examiner said. He's too big of a gentleman for her to be standing face-to-face with him in the trajectory, be a downward trajectory. But that could be wrong. But the jury didn't think so. But they found her guilty and gave her a 10-year sentence. And it seemed like there were some steps made in the right direction, in my opinion, with forgiveness. And some people are not having it. They want her head. But I don't think it's that. A life was lost, and that is terribly tragic. But I do not think that she killed this man with malice or with race in mind. I just just do not. And people can do that, and we can be divided and divisive as long as you want to be. And we can look at the spectrum of each side. But until we come off the ends or the fringes and try to find some common ground to speak of, we're going to continue to butt heads. And I say we, just people on each side of different opinions. Which I don't know what lessons are learned here. I feel like Amber Geiger made a terrible mistake because I feel like that what happens sometimes with police officers is they get a, there's a lot of power involved in that job you have a lot of power over people and power corrupts but absolute power absolutely corrupts and I believe a lot of these officers get that absolute power they get that taste of power and by God they like it Because I know it takes a certain person to do this job. It's almost like being a teacher. It's a very honorable profession. It's also a very low end of the pay spectrum profession versus the risk you put up with versus the pay. I'm not saying the pay is bad. I'm working class poor. I can say that. What I'm getting at is like a teacher or a very honorable job. It does. They don't get paid enough. So, in order to do the job, you either want to protect and serve, and you are an honorable person, and this is what you've wanted to do all your life, and you make an outstanding officer, an outstanding investigator, or you want that power. Because the money don't make a damn. You've got the power. You'd pay them to do it. And eventually... That absolute power corrupts you and you become calloused and desensitized and you make the rules as you go and you stop following procedure and you'll do whatever the fuck you want to. It happens. I don't care what anybody says. And I'm not saying that against all police officers. It is an honorable profession. But there are some that make it very unhonorable, make it You know, one bad apple spoils the bunch, they say. But I do not think that it's just mass hysteria. But I do think that sometimes people need to take a step back and think, you know, what 
what the situation in in front of a, in front of them is. It's just a terrible tragedy on both sides. So, what is the lesson here? I don't know. Other than some basic, simple lessons, because at the end of the day, always make sure your fucking door's shut and locked and latched. Because you never know what crazy individual's right outside of it getting ready to walk in. This is the weekly podcast. guys thanks for listening this is the end here i just want to make sure that i make it very clear that we support our law enforcement and i think it's important that you do too i also think it's important that when people make mistakes that their actions have consequences and i'm not saying that every police officer needs to walk around worried about every time they pull their gun out if they perceive it to be a threat but i do think that when basic police procedure is broken then obviously sometimes there's going to be consequences to actions and in this case put this as a disclaimer it had nothing to do with the case at hand before Amy Geiger had shot another man before this was not her first time shooting anyone Um, another gentleman had reached for her taser a while back sorry I'm flipping through my notes here sorry um, she'd been involved in a previous shooting in that case she shot a man in the stomach after he grabbed her taser weapon during a confrontation the man survived and a grand jury later declined to indict her which that is accurate they should not have if that man is reaching for her taser she should have shot and killed him right there on the spot so there's times that justified homicide is accurate and then there are also times that mistake of fact is the right move just because a police officer makes a mistake and shoots and kills someone doesn't mean that they automatically need to be charged with murder manslaughter or anything each situation is different support your police support those that are less fortunate and be good to everybody thanks